Welcome back. Welcome to another episode of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. And we are excited and thankful. Thanks for all the downloads, Mm -hmm. all the positive reviews. And Bill. Yes. We've got some news. I do. Well, you do. We both do. We both do. We have our uh, first sponsor. Yes, we do. But before we get into that, we'll tell you the backstory. One of our listeners went to guystellingstories.com. We mentioned it a few episodes ago. Clicked on the support the show link. Mm Mm-hmm. And is now one of our first sponsors. Yep. And there's there's multiple levels you can click on, and she chose to do the sponsor package. Well, we do this for free. If you like what you hear, you can also become a supporter of the podcast. We give away some things, some exclusive access to some content that we do. We love giving those social media shout-outs. And like we mentioned before, it could even become a sponsor of the show. Yeah. And basically what we're trying to say here is our first sponsor is one of you, our listeners, and we really wouldn't have it any other way. Nope. And we're going to try to reach out to her. Yeah. And if you're willing to help the show as well and you want to encourage us to keep going, head on over to guystellingstories.com, click on that support the show link, and take a look around and uh, see what you're willing to do for us. We'll keep doing this for you. All right, our guest for today. Road trip. That is, that's right. Bill's pumped and I'm excited too. Our guest for today is president and owner of one of the premier wineries in New York State. Mm-hmm. You know, Bill, when I was looking things up here, New York in the 1950s, the wine industry just got elevated by Dr. Frank and his family in the Finger Lakes region. You know, Dr. Frank was a, a science PhD. Okay. He's a, he's a real he's doc. smart guy. Yeah, real smart guy. And, you know, I guess the, the story goes that for years, hundreds of years, no one could grow these European-style grapes in the middle of New York. And then Dr. Frank, along with a few other people, innovators, come along within a few short years. They're making wines, growing grapes that no one's ever made in New York. I'm excited. So we got in touch with Dr. Frank's grandson, Frederick Frank, well, you know, I'd love to ask him everything about wine. Let's, fig- let's call it Wine 101 with, uh, with a guy who knows everything about it. I mean, we talk white wine or red wine. Um, ask him about all that swirling that people do when they're tasting. Uh-huh. You know, I do that just because everyone else doesn't want to fit yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what he has to say about, you know, owning and running a family business and also uh, the, the wine industry in general. We've been to wineries before. We've, we've taken, uh, you know, limos and, and wine tours. Um, but I think t- today is going to be special. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we're going to get in there and I think we're going to kind of get a little behind the scenes tour. That, that most people don't get to see and, and actually ask some questions that, uh, you know, you don't, not the typical wine tour question. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped for this. All right. Well, let's hit the road. Road trip. All right. Road trip. All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. And we are so excited about our guest today. We're sitting down with Fred Frank. He is the third generation owner of Dr. Constantine Frank's Wine Cellars. We're here in Hammondsport, New York, overlooking beautiful Cuca Lake. Fred, thanks for doing the show. Thanks so much for coming. It's, it's really a pleasure meeting both of you. And uh, we're here on a snowy day 
in, uh, in February, but it's a great time to uh, taste some of these award-winning wines and, and talk about the wonder, wonderful history of the winery. Well, that's what we're here for, those stories. We're absolutely thrilled to hear, uh, basically, if you could take us back, way back, way, way back to the beginning. You know, how'd you and your family get started in the wine industry? Yes, well, that's, it's a great story. It's, it's kind of like the uh, quintessential um, immigrant story in the U.S. where Dr. Constantine Frank was a Ph.D. in viticulture, uh, studied in Europe, and uh, in 1951, he gathered his whole family and came to New York, but uh, he had very little money. And he spoke five languages, but English was not among the five. So he started out as a dishwasher in New York City to earn a little money and learn the language. And then um, he saved up a bus fare to come to upstate New York to Cornell University's Geneva Agricultural Experiment Station, which is really the center for viticultural research in the East Coast. And uh, when he got up there... Um, he he showed them his credentials. Obviously, language was a was a challenge, but um, the the professors up there felt that uh, they had tried to grow the European varieties and were unsuccessful. So they really didn't believe his theories that it could be done. And uh, however, they did hire him. They I guess they felt sorry for him, and he got a menial job there. But it got his foot in the door at least into the. Um, industry and he attended a um, wine conference shortly thereafter and met Charles Fournier, the celebrated French trained winemaker at Gold Seal. Uh, nearby was at the time New York's premier winery and uh, they both spoke French. So he kind of bent Charles's ear and he said, look, if you give me a chance, I'll prove to you we can grow the vinifera in New York, and uh, that was music to Charles' ears because he wanted nothing more than to have his beloved French grape varieties grown in the in the vineyards here in, on Cuca Lake. So he literally hired him on the spot, made him director of vineyard research at Gold Seal, and within a few years, Dr. Frank was successful in growing the European varieties right here wow. in the Finger Lakes, and That's that cool. that literally transformed the industry. So, Fred, what was the problem? I know you mentioned, for, for the listeners out there that aren't as familiar with winemaking, uh, you mentioned vinifera, there was a problem. What was keeping people from, from growing those types of grapes? That's a great question. Um, actually, we Americans had tried going back to Thomas Jefferson to grow the European varieties on the East Coast. And uh, one of the obstacles was um, a local pest called phylloxera. It was a root louse that was um, native to the whole East Coast. And this root louse would eat the roots of the European uh, vines. Whenever somebody attempted to, to put a cutting in the ground, within a few years, the roots would be eaten off. And what Dr. Frank observed, um, and he used this technique in Europe to actually save their vineyards first before he came to, to New York, was that the wild grapevines were not damaged by this native pest. And that's why you saw them growing along the roadside. And they had evolved over the years to basically coexist or, or not be damaged by the pest. And so they used this natural approach and took cuttings from the wild grapevines, grafted them onto the European vine, 
and thus we're able to grow the vinifera, these world-famous wine grapes right here in the Finger Lakes. And, um, you know, Dr. Frank was not only successful in his own vineyards and his own plantings, but he was really um, very giving with his knowledge. He um, is credited basically with spreading this knowledge and helping other Eastern wineries and vineyards all along the, the East Coast. And if you trace the history of premium winemaking in the Eastern US, invariably um, the roots come back to Dr. Frank for his help. He, in the early years, he had a group he called his cooperators. And these were winery owners from neighboring states. And he invited them to come work with him to work harvest here. And he also sold them grapevines, grafted grapevines from his nursery. So he really wanted the industry to prosper. Um, and he, he was very giving with his knowledge. He also started the largest consumer wine organization in the U.S. called the American Wine Society, which is still today the largest uh, consumer it's wine. Still, in st still very active. Wow. And in fact, they're celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. And so he felt it was very important to not only produce great wines in America, but also educate consumers about these great wines yeah. and to include them uh, with fine dining and, and it would enhance the whole meal, the whole dining experience. Um, so this was a movement that he created and today all 50 states have wineries and the U.S. has become the largest wine market in the world. Really? And a lot of this is because more Americans have been exposed to wine with these regional wineries throughout the country, it's allowed more Americans the opportunity to tour wineries, to learn about wines, and thus to, to take wine down from its pedestal and make it more understanding and more enjoyable. Wow. Well, I'm assuming when you were younger, you were probably introduced to this at a very early age. Um, am I correct in, in that assumption? Yes, I, I was uh, very young. And actually, my grandfather, Constantine, he, um, he was great with his grandsons and granddaughters in terms of developing relationships first. And with the grandsons, he did that through hunting and fishing. So the property here has four ponds that he stocked with uh, various game fish. And the lands are f filled with game, uh, you know, uh, deer and turkey and rabbits and uh, pheasants and all kinds of good stuff. So... At an early age, the way that he bonded with his grandsons was to uh, educate them about hunting and fishing, and then he kind of used that relationship into then training us in the vineyard and in the wine cellar. So um, it really was a great experience growing up and working with him and learning from him. And then my dad, Willie Frank, took over the winery. He was the second generation, uh, and that was back in the mid-'80s. And then I took over in the mid-90s, and now my daughter, Megan, is um, joined us, and she's the fourth generation as our general manager. So it's really exciting to uh, have worked with all the generations of the family, and each one has contributed in their own ways to help the winery grow, to improve quality. So it's really been very rewarding to be part of that, but it really all started... Uh, with Dr. Constantine Frank and 
his pioneering efforts. Wow. You know, Bill, you always do a great job with describing where we're at and what we're seeing. Why don't you tell mm-hmm. people a little bit about uh, about the place? Well, we've been here before, and uh, we've been here. Um, I know I was here at least on, on a, a wine tasting adventure. We're in a we're in a very large tasting room here. It has some beautiful bars. It has a three window, three side window view of the winery and the lake, and it's 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 gorgeous. I know it's a little. Uh, white right now but uh, i can winter. picture it in the uh, summer and the spring when it when it's green it, it's gorgeous there's a deck out back it's beautiful yeah. yeah what do you think about it Rich? you know i'm glad we i'm glad we took the road trip and we're here and you know bringing it back to you fred maybe you can tell us exactly how old were you when you first started to learn about the winery and get into winemaking and 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 i guess the entire business I really started as soon as I could walk, uh, yeah. walking in the vineyards and, and learning from my grandfather. And, and it, it was something that was an early calling for me and um, a, a great responsibility to um, carry on that legacy. And I was joined by my cousin, Eric Voltz. And so we were, we were two, two of the grandsons of Dr. Frank, the third uh, my cousin Donnie Schelling, he chose to um, work in another field, uh, but Eric um, specialized in the vineyard, and his father, Walter Voltz, who's my uh, uncle, he was our first vineyard manager under Dr. Frank, and then Eric took over from his father managing the vineyards, and that's really a very important part of the wine quality is the vineyard management, because that's really where um, you know, the quality starts. You can't make great wine unless you have high-quality grapes. And so uh, with Eric managing these wonderful old vine vineyards, uh, we're able to provide our winemaking team with the best possible quality fruit. Now, in my case, I wanted to learn about wine business and also winemaking and viticulture so I could have a good overall view of all the processes in the cellar and in the vineyards. And so I studied at Cornell University uh, business and then um, later worked for a larger wine company to get experience for about 13 years. And in between, I went back to study winemaking in Europe, in Germany at a school called Geisenheim. So I speak fluent German and our family has uh, a long German heritage, and the varieties that we grow, many of them are from Germany. And, and so because our climate is so similar to Germany, and these varieties really feel at home here, and by using the same techniques that are used in Germany, uh, we really um, are able to produce um, outstanding quality. So the variety that we're most famous for is Riesling. This is a grape originally from Germany, and it's our number one variety both in terms of production but also in terms of awards and accolades. And this is spread now throughout the region. So the Finger Lakes as a region, not just our winery, um, is recognized as the best region in America for Riesling. So we can all be proud as New Yorkers, that right in our backyard, we're producing some of the best wines in the country. Yeah. Speaking of that, I know you're not going to bring it up, so I'll bring it up. In front of me, you have a little rating on a piece of paper with five 90-plus rated wines Mm. currently. 
Yeah. Yes. Wine, Three of them are Wine Enthusiast magazine. Tell us about that. Right. This is hot off the press. Uh, this is in the current issue of Wine Enthusiast, which is uh, one of the most uh, widely circulated wine magazines in the country. And uh, it's really remarkable to have that many 90-plus ratings from this prestigious publication. And uh, we're very proud of that. And I think it's it's a testament to not only the quality of our wines, but the region potential. Uh, the Finger Lakes is really growing leaps and bounds. And these high ratings help us in the future to gain more credibility. You know, there's wine. Um, we're competing with wine from all over the world. And there's great wine made in California and Europe. But we've developed a nice niche here in the Finger Lakes with these northern European wine grapes. We can do it better than any part of the U.S. You know, Napa Valley will let them do the Cabernets and the Zinfandels. Um, that's really their strong point. But our strong point are these aromatic whites. Um, so varieties like Riesling, like Gewürztraminer, um, sparkling wines, late harvest wines. I mean, these are the, the wines that wine enthusiasts gave the 90-plus ratings to. And if you look on the map in Europe, they're all from the northern part of Europe. And because our climate is so similar to northern France, Germany, Austria, um, that's really our strength. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to trying some of these, Bill. I'm glad he said Gerwitzimmer before I had to try to say it. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. uh, Fred, one of the things I just learned was you had this long education in learning about wine, how to grow mm. the grapes. Any stories come to mind when you were in Cornell or studying over in Europe, specifically about you know making you know a good product? Mm. Sure, I mean it was a great experience for me uh, when I was at Geisenheim. A lot of my fellow classmates they were from German vineyards and they would invite me on the weekends to visit their family farm. So you know it was a great learning experience not only in the classroom but also in the field, learning from these famous wine estates. Um, you know, some of them have been in the same family for a thousand years. So, I mean, we're a very historic winery and vineyard here in the U.S., four generations. But in Europe, um, you know, there are wineries that go back a lot farther. So it's it's a great learning experience to, to see these um, famous wineries there. But from a quality standpoint, even though we've been at it a much shorter period than these European wineries, we're producing quality that is on their level. Mm -hmm. You know, even just after 50 years, four generations, uh, we've just been on a very quick learning curve. And, you know, the, the advantage that we have is this wonderful, cool climate. So the vineyards are situated on these steep hillsides adjacent to these deep finger lakes. So we can only grow these tender vinifera literally on the shoreline of these deep lakes. Okay. And, and what the lakes do is they moderate the surrounding temperatures slightly, allowing us to grow these tender grape varieties in the, the cold upstate climate. If you get away just, you know, a half a mile or so from the lake, the temperatures get too cold and you're not able to grow the, the vinifera. Then you have to switch to the native wild grapes, like a Concord, for example, which are hardier, and they don't need to be grown right along the shoreline of the lakes. That's neat. I, know, I was always wondering why there's so many, why they followed the, the path of the lake. Yeah, mm -hmm. it has to do with the science behind the temperature. Mm -hmm. That sounds 
That sounds yeah. pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. My wife and I were in Europe, specifically in Asti and Barolo over the summer. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I guess my story has to do with is the wine tasting there was so mm-hmm. dramatically different than anything mm-hmm. I experienced before. And I'll, I'll, I'll share a little story with you. We were um, in Barolo and we were walking around the region and we had scheduled uh, a tasting. And we go into not a beautiful place like this with windows and bar, uh, bars overlooking a lake. We go into a small home. Mm. And basically, the gentleman in charge, his mother, was sitting at mm. this table with us, his wooden mm. table, and speaking in somewhat broken English what, mm. uh, what she knew about the wines and could mm-hmm. say in English, mm. and then had us tasting six different ones. Then she took us down into the cellar, packed us up a few bottles, and sent us on our way. And it was just mm. the four of us. Mm. Such a different experience. But I guess one of the questions I have is, how can these families create a product that takes years to make mm-hmm. and stay so successful? Mm. Yeah, there is a long tradition in Europe uh, producing great wines and you know, in Europe, wine tourism is is not as pronounced or popular, I would say, as here in the U.S. You're right. You know, uh, what, which you experienced. I mean, just meeting with the family. I mean, at, at our winery, we receive about eighty-five thousand visitors a year. So, in the old days, yes, uh, my grandfather would come out over a coffee table and taste wines. That's with, funny, yeah. With a visitor, but you know, it has just grown tremendously, and I mean, we're within. A short drive of just millions of, of Americans who are anxious to, you know, visit this beautiful area, taste these award-winning wines. And we are a bit off the beaten track. You know, we're not on a busy highway. Most modern wineries today are situated on, on uh, busy highways to sort of guarantee a certain number of visitors. In our case, um, the winery site was selected because of its wonderful vineyard um, so- site, uh, and, and and wine tourism back in the 60s really was not as advanced or as popular. Um, and over the years, that has grown tremendously. So, you know, we do have some signs out. Uh, in fact, Taste of New York um, picked us as really the only winery here. So we have signs, Taste of New York signs, going all the way from the interstate to our winery. Uh, but we're not on a busy road. In fact, this road in front of the winery was just paved only a few years ago. We were literally on a dirt road for most of our existence. And so as a result, we do not charge for wine tastings. We like to reward folks who've heard about the wines and kind of go out of their way to come here. And uh, that's very rare nowadays. Most wineries do charge for tastings, but in our case, it's kind of a tradition uh, that we've held on to. We have an excellent staff here, very wine knowledgeable. Many have been with us for over 10, sometimes 20 years, and they're great at um, talking about the wines, the history, in a, in a very enthusiastic manner, not in a lecture-type manner, but in a fun. So you can learn about wines in a fun experience, overlooking beautiful Cuca Lake and our old vine vineyards, really is a magnificent setting you know and we're here on a snowy day we're open year-round so actually the the best kept secret is visiting the wineries in the off season because then you get even more individual attention Mm -hmm. you get sort of coddled over by the staff 
you're able to learn more about the wines in a, in a very relaxed setting. So we encourage visitors to come throughout the year. But of course, traditionally, summer and fall are the busiest months, and, and particularly fall weekends. And the reason for that is we get beautiful foliage colors here. Oh, yeah. You know, orange and reds and yellows. And that contrasting with the crystal blue lake is just magnificent. And also, of course, the grape harvest is, is happening in the fall. So for all those reasons, that uh, is our busiest time yeah. from a tourism no, it sounds like you have probably on average close to 300 visitors. You know, if you do the mm. math, 85,000. Well, it's concentrated mostly in the summer it, that's and That's what fall. I was going to say. You know, in the winter, we don't get many visitors and even in the spring. So that's why, you know, for folks in the know to come off season, they're going to have a really good time. We're open year round and uh, they can really enjoy the wines. Uh, in a less crowded setting. Yeah, that's going to take that Take that advice. We're here mm. today, and you could get that one-on-one -on -one attention. And if you yes, mm. have some questions about wine, whether it's Wine 101, like, you know, what, what's going on with that swirl? How important mm. is that? Or mm. you know you know your stuff. You get to meet with maybe some of the family, some mm -hmm. of the workers. But if you come during the busy season, I could imagine you might have six, We've been there. I've been there. 600 people. This whole room's full. You're in a line. You're just, you're, you're just right. kind of coming in and out. <laughs> and mm -hmm. they don't talk to you at all. They're, sometimes they're miserable. You never know who comes in before you, what they did. Mm. You know, you get you get behind the wrong limo, and <laughs> yeah. and they're just not happy to see you. Yeah. They don't want it. They're done. So well, this is nice. Well, to come up even here. on the busiest days, we try to have excellent um, customer service, and you know we have a, a larger staff in the busier times, and we'll add more bars. It is more crowded. Sometimes there is a wait, as you pointed out, but we really feel it's important to have a great experience for visitors because. These visitors, if they have a good time, if they like the wines, they're so important in word of mouth, mm -hmm. you know, marketing or advertising, telling their friends, coming back with their friends. And, you know, that's, that's really powerful, even in today's age of, uh, you know, sophisticated advertising and Internet and so forth. You know, we really feel word of mouth is, is some of the most powerful, um, you know, uh, advertising and marketing. I know we're kind of we're skipping around a little bit, but I also noticed when we pulled in here today, there was a, a big UPS truck, and they were just loading boxes in mm, and yes. in. So a lot of our listeners aren't aren't local, um, and they're, right. they're probably not going to get a chance to to come here. But it doesn't mean they can't check out the website, uh, mm -hmm. sign up for your wine club, and 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 buy a couple of bottles because you do ship the wine all all over the place. We do. We have a great website. It's uh, at drfrankwines.com. So that's spelled D R. F-R-A-N-K-W-I-N-E-S dot com. And uh, if your listeners go to that site, it's a wealth of information. And you're right, we can ship directly to certain states. I'd say about uh, 30 or so, we can ship directly to consumers. Some of the states don't allow it, like Pennsylvania, for example, doesn't allow direct shipment. But we do have our wines available in uh, the state liquor stores and wine shops there. So... Um, Pennsylvania residents can often find them in the local stores. So we're, we're in, uh, distributed in about 30 states as well through the traditional uh, wine shops right. where, where folks can find them, you know, in their local package stores, uh, which is, is convenient. And then there's uh, about 30 states where we can ship directly to consumers' homes. So that's really nice to just go on the website on a cold winter day 
order up some of these award-winning wines. And, you know, I have to tell you, we've, we've just heard the phone ringing. Um, these high ratings are having wine collectors from all over the country calling, uh, ordering wine. Some of them maybe not have been here before, but, you know, they'll order the wines, try them, learn about the winery, and that might encourage them, you know, to come uh, on a vacation either a long weekend or take the week and, and tour the Finger Lakes. And that benefits not only our winery, but really the whole Everybody area. around here. You know, yeah. the restaurants, the B&Bs. You know, Bill, when we're always talking about things like the challenges and obstacles, you know, when you have that drive that the family establishes and that you just feel innately, then you keep that drive going. But, you know, bringing it back to you, Fred, I'm sure that you or the family, whether it's your own story or a historical one, had to come across some sort of defeat or obstacle that eventually you were better for. Can you talk a little bit about one of those challenges or obstacles? Yes. I mean, one of the challenges was about uh, 12 years ago, we had a devastating record coal winter, um, and it really um, damaged the grapevines here on Cuca Lake. The lake was frozen on Cuca. And, um, you know, I had a meeting with my dad, and I said, you know, we really need to reduce our risk. Um, and so we made the decision to look at some uh, potential vineyard sites um, on Seneca Lake okay. and uh, invested in, in a large um, acreage there. And then over the years, we've planted it. So it's now all planted. And we've just this past uh, winter had a repeat of, you know, a record cold winter, Cuca Lake froze, and um, it really helped us out this fall having those productive vineyards on Seneca Lake that did not have as much damage and were able to uh, help us um, with higher yields and help us, you know, um, basically spread out the risk. So right. we're not just one site here on Cuca Lake like we were in the old days and we you know, the, the, the yields would go up and down, kind of like a roller coaster, depending on the severity of the winter, you know. So um, this expansion onto Seneca has really helped us. The, another way that it's helped us, besides mitigating our risk, is it's allowed us to grow some more tender varieties. So I'll give you an example. In Austria, the most famous wine grape, it's not Chardonnay or Riesling, it's a variety called Gruner Veltliner. So you thought I'm not saying that you thought Gewurztraminer was tough, but you know a lot of these varieties you can shorten. So for example, Gewurztraminer, you could say Gewurz. Okay, I that's do. easier. Okay, and then you, you sound do. like you're in the know. Yeah, and you hey, sound like you know. How about what you're that Gewurz about. over there? Gewurz, yeah. Yeah. So Gewurz means spicy uh, in German, and then Gruner means green. So you instead of Gruner Veltliner, you can shorten it and say Gruner. I'd like a glass of Gruner, <laughs> and you know, believe it or not. This variety is probably the hottest wine in the Celebrity Chefs Now restaurant in New York City. You know, the, you see these um, chefs now have become movie stars with their own TV shows. Well, a lot of these restaurants, you need reservations months in advance. And many of those sommeliers, the hottest wine now is Gruner Veltliner. So we thought, let's grow some here in the Finger Lakes. Our climate is similar to Austria. You know, I personally have been to Austria. I love the, the wine, and it's been a fantastic uh, hit. It's great. been a great success, 
and it's going to add to the Finger Lakes diversity and offerings. You know, instead of just Riesling, we have other varieties to offer. You know, Gewurztraminer, Gruner Veltliner, uh, and they're just winning awards all over the country. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, my wife and I, for example, we were in California about a year ago, and it was for the San Francisco Chronicle Wine Competition. So the, the Chronicle sponsors the biggest wine competition in America, 6,400 wines wow. entered from all over the U.S., a, a big chunk from California because that's where most wineries are located, and this little winery in New York, where you're sitting, took the top prize. Oh, wow. You That's know, fabulous. Best of show, best white wine with a Riesling. Dr. Was your Frank Riesling? Riesling. Yeah. So we went out there to, you know, kind of raise the Finger Lakes flag and educate folks, you know, that there's some great wines being made outside of California, namely in the Finger Lakes. And we made a lot of believers, you know, in that trip. Well, we have, we have quite a few listeners in the San Francisco Oakland, San Jose area. So if you mm-hmm. haven't already, go go right. go find some mm-hmm. Dr. Frank's wines. Was which one won the yeah. best in show? Was it that was the Dr. Frank Riesling Semi Dry? Okay, and, and that was last year. Well, going back to the website, um, which which I touched on a little bit earlier, what one of the things you had was the how to ship the wines, how to purchase the wines. All of the tastings that you guys do in the in the areas, you can look on the website, and if something's close to you, there's some in New Jersey, there's some in Boston, mm-hmm. some in uh, New York, obviously. So uh, that, that you can check out every tip. event and every tasting yeah. from supermarkets to, um, mm-hmm. I think the Sabres one is on there. I'm assuming that's their uh, that's right their the party. Sabres, uh, yeah, so we we get involved in a lot of wine events and tastings because we feel that they're great educational opportunities for folks to you know if they can't come to the winery we'll come to their backyard and make it more convenient for them to try wines another way to learn about the winery is just go to amazon.com or barnes and noble a new book has just come out about the legacy of dr constantine frank Uh, it's called finger lakes wine and the legacy of dr constantine frank by tom russ and it's put out by the American Palette Press, and this book is their top-selling book. You know, it's just been out a couple of months. It's setting all kinds of records, and uh, we're really excited. Um, writer Tom Russ spent uh, over five years researching this book, talking to not only family members but industry members, people who uh, had contact with Constantine and just has written this fantastic book. Um, my only warning is if, if um, your readers, um, if your listeners uh, purchase this book, is they really have to set aside a lot of time to just read the book because it is such a page turner. You just, once you start reading it, it's tough to put it down. So it's a great story, and we're really excited that you know, the history of Constantine has, has been documented and uh, it, it's really a, a fantastic story. Yeah, so go check out that book. It is Finger Lakes Wine and the Legacy of Dr. Constantine Frank by Tom Russ. You know, Fred, before we look too far ahead into the future, 
sometimes these interviews end up being those legacy interviews. It might be your daughter, or grandkids in the future. They go, oh, let's go, let's go listen to that old recording of, of, <laughs> of you know, gra- Grandpa Fred. Uh, so we always like to ask, based on one of the stories you told us, a lesson that you learned, for example, when you mentioned the Seneca Lake expansion, you know, if you're talking to a future self or, you know, maybe a fifth, sixth generation Frank, you know, what lessons have you learned along the way that you'd love to share with them? Well, um, our family had a lot of European proverbs. And one of them, uh, my dad used to tell me, and when I was a youngster, he would repeat this, and it, and it was basically translated. It, it went, um, you should learn to shave on another man's beard. Okay, so okay. what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's a little tough to do, right? Uh, what it means is get experience, you know, outside of the family winery, outside of the family business, get experience in, the, in you know, other settings and uh, other wine companies and, and grow and mature and, you know, take those lessons back, you know, to the family business and, and winery and, and help help the winery grow. I think so, that's great advice. You know, when I finished Cornell, I was kind of, my grandfather w- was pulling me to come to the winery and um, my father, you know, he suggested, no, you really should go out work for, for some other wineries, gain some experience, and then come back, you know. So I took his advice, and uh, it was really uh, very rewarding, and I helped, I think it helped me mature faster, too, you know, getting out in the re- real world, having to, um, you know, make it on my own, so to speak, and um, then later I, I felt I had more to contribute to the family winery. So that was great advice that my dad gave me. And, you know, I tried to instill that in my daughter, Megan. And she has also worked at other wineries and gotten fantastic education in uh, University of Adelaide in Australia, uh, where she first got a master's in wine business and then a second master's at Cornell University in winemaking. So her background is is really fantastic, and we believe that she's going to help take the winery to even greater heights in the future. So she she has already shaved another man's beard, and she's basically yeah, ready right. to <laughs> shave her own. Is it too late <laughs> to start doing this? <laughs> it's great advice, though, because some of the people we have talked to always like to tell us you know, about their own struggles, but it sounds mm-hmm. like some of your advice is based on past precedent, other family experiences, and you're speaking to a generation that may not even be born yet. Learn to shave right. on another man's beard. There we go. I like that. <laughs> Do you have any advice to somebody who is just starting out in any field, and it could be something personal, it could be something that you learn the hard way, but what advice would you give to someone just starting out? I think great advice is to pick up this book, Finger Lakes <laughs> and the Legacy, because oh, I was man. honored... Uh, I was honored to write the foreword of the book. And in the foreword, you know, I basically um, talk about, you know, never giving up, trusting in your own convictions. And that's really what, what Dr. Frank can teach us. You know, I mean, he went against the establishment. He went against academia, went against the industry. They all said, you, you can't do it. We tried. It can't be done. And he persevered because he knew that 
in his heart it could be done. He he was successful in Europe doing it. He knew that there were just some obstacles that had to be overcome. And I think these lessons can be applied to to many circumstances, you know. And so I think it's a great story. And uh, you know, I encourage your listeners to to read the book. And uh, there's lots of words of wisdom in that there. That sounds great. We've had a lot of people that we've interviewed and, and talked to uh, on and off air who have started something on their own. And they've said that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Follow your convictions, follow what you believe in. It doesn't always have to be your idea. Right. If you have mm-hmm. something that you really believe in and it's a part of your family or it's a mm-hmm. part of the business you're already in, that, mm-hmm. that that's exactly the same thing. You're doing it because mm-hmm. it's what you believe in. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that's very similar to people, even though you may not have started it, mm-hmm. but it is still right. what's in yeah. your heart. And, and bringing it believe. back to Constantine, too, mm-hmm. one of the things that's kind of ringing in my ears from from mm. the history you provided with us is he was very, uh, what's it called, collaborative. He wanted yes, to help everyone. He, really he was giving. Mm-hmm. And as a result, not only is this winery established, but mm-hmm. the organization that you mentioned he, he began, along with not a right. number of other, mm-hmm. uh, basically, areas that he helped to grow. Other wineries, yeah. And uh, American Wine Society. Um, yeah, he, he really felt that Americans deserved... Uh, you know, the best quality wine, he, a quote from the book is, he felt Americans deserved only the best wines. Well, you know, Fred, this has been fantastic. You know, you're our first oh. person that we've talked to in the wine industry, and I think we picked a good person. In first the, road trip. Yeah, our first road trip, but also mm. the fact that you got to bring us back four generations and then all the mm. way back up to today and in the future. So before we sign off here, why don't we tell people where they can find you online and social media just one more time? Yes, so we do have a a Facebook page, and that's Dr. Frank Wine, D-R-F-R-A-N-K-W-I-N-E. We're also on Twitter, at Dr. Frank Wine. And then again, our website is drfrankwines.com. And we encourage your listeners to come and visit us here. We're in the beautiful town of Hammondsport, which Budget Travel Magazine listed as the coolest small town in America. Wow. Okay? Cool. So in addition to world-class wines, we've got great um, dining, uh, lodging, uh, and just wonderful natural beauty. Um, you know, again, the, vine- the winery tasting room overlooks our steep hillside vineyards going down to crystal blue Cuca Lake. We're open year-round, and there's no charge for tastings. All right. Well, as always, guys, uh, this has been another great episode of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the show. If you got some time, you can head to guystellingstories.com backslash review. Write us a review after you listen to this fantastic episode with Fred Frank. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. All right, guys. Until next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 